What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. We have been on a slight hiatus for the last couple of weeks, just rolling into gun season and doing a lot of uh, rut hunting before the gun season and just trying to squirt out a tag and trying to fill it. And with that in mind, I was not really like super interested in finding podcast guests. <laughs> I was more along the lines of interested in trying to fill the tag. So you hunt all day, you come back and you just try to game plan for the next day. And like, that's what your brain's working on. And I, you're out of the office so much and I have a total remote job. So then I'm getting emails all the time anyway. So then in my spare time, I'm like, all right, I have 37 emails from today, which two are important. <laughs> like, or are there even any that are important? So, um, so yeah, we're back with a podcast. I got a good friend um, and industry. Like, uh, what what would you say? You work in the industry. So I got a good friend from high school and works in the industry. Um, Steven Kornacki, we'll get to him here in a minute. Um, but uh, real quick for everybody listening, just a couple um, couple quick sponsors of the show. Guys, check these, check these people out. Onyx Maps, if you don't have it, just Google it. Onyx Maps. Yep, Steve's wearing the... Steve's wearing the hoodie right now. Onyx Maps, dude. They have the one of the best mobile like GPS waypoints, like uh, public private land boundary works offline. That's the main reason I bought it. Go check it out. I was on that thing. The like I'm still I'm pretty much every day of the hunting season. I was on it yesterday for a few hours. Like you have uh, what you might call it, um, like your phone tracker, which tells you how much screen time and what apps you're using and things like that. I was looking at that and I was just staring at Onyx for almost two hours yesterday because I'm replanning and repositioning all my cameras and my stands now for late season. So I'm trying to map all that out and get a get a glimpse because then I got to take a day and just run down there and go do all that here pretty soon. But anyway, so uh, Onyx Maps, Vector Custom Shop. If you guys don't have uh, your arrows aren't flying well, you want to get some new arrows, you're running low on arrows, check out Vector Custom Shop. Awesome company. They make customized arrows for you, your bow, your draw length, what type of game you're hunting, um, what type of broadheads you're shooting, all that stuff. Go check out those guys. And they even have their own broadheads now. So you can even get the, the all-in-one package. Great small business out of Janesville, Wisconsin. Then last but not least, Venado. Venado makes lifestyle apparel. So essentially like they're badass like flannels. These flannels are, I love them. I got three of them. They are awesome. Um, and then they're super warm. I wear them under my, my hunting clothes. Like, uh, I got the, I got first light system. I got the new origin stuff, which is pretty cool. We can talk about that. Steve, do you even know about the origin stuff or no? I think because of you. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so yeah, we can talk about the origin stuff if that's interesting at all. And then, uh, but I always pack one of those fleeces there. Super warm, super handy to have. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, they just make a bunch of great stuff. So Venado is is awesome. The last thing before we get into this is I do have a shop now. So you can go to deervane.com, can click on shop. And then from there, we got t-shirts, hoodies, and hats. Those are the three things we're doing right now. And they just, they, they have the deer vein logo on them. So if you guys enjoy the podcast, enjoy listening to me, if I've helped you at all, or if I've always, if I've bring you, brought you value in any way, shape or form, and you think it's worth, uh, I think the hoodies are 50 bucks and the t-shirts are 25 or 20. If you think it's worth that, like throw me a bone and, and buy something. And it's not even the money. Cause I only make like, I think I make $3 on the t-shirt and I make, I think $12 on the hoodie and like, four dollars on the hat 
So it's not like you're giving me a ton of money, but what you are giving me is brand awareness. And I think that is more important than, than the money. So I tried to keep the prices as low as I could, but God, dude, shipping times and lead times and the amount of stuff costs nowadays, even just like quality t-shirts or quality hoodies, like it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough to find something like, like they're like, yeah, we could get you this badass t-shirt. It's 30 bucks your cost. And I'm like, dude, I've have to charge people like 37. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like people aren't paying $37 for a t-shirt, bro. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, yeah, the, check out the shop if you guys are interested in supporting me. And with that, let's roll into the podcast. Steven, tell people hey. who you are. Well, uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on Deervan here, man. Um, uh, I'm Steven Kornacki. Uh, currently, I manage the video team at Vortex Optics. Uh, it's a team of seven, I think, including myself. So five videographers and a full-time like video graphics guys kind of on my team and um, I'm considered to be on the marketing team. So I deal with, uh, you know, pretty much all the the cool marketing guys over at Vart Vortex on a daily basis. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners, listeners probably know who like Eric Barber is. Um, he's a crazy whitetail fanatic, former whitetail cameraman. He actually kind of heads up a lot of our creative content. So I get to work with a lot of killers. Um, even on my team, I got guys that shot a 165 this year. And uh, that's, I think, a little down from his 173 last year. So uh, I don't know why you brought me on this podcast when uh, there's a literally a slew of people that uh, slay monster bucks on a yearly basis. But I appreciate it, man. It's it's about the motion of the ocean, Steve. It's not about the size. <laughs> what I try and convince my wife about, too. So <laughs> Right? I always tell my wife, hey, I got two kids. It works. That's, that's right. That's what we're after. That's you all have, you know. You have one or two kids. I got two too, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How old? Uh, right now they are two, three, and five. Three and five. So three and five. Oh, you're two years ahead of me. I'm three and one. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah real so young, like, real fun. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're great. <laughs> tonight, tonight, yeah, tonight before the podcast, we were uh wrestling in the living room, and my three year old is my son Charlie, and he could uh not get through his head that you can't smack me in the face or go for oh. my eyes. Like, and that sure. was his favorite thing. Like he's like pretending to tickle you and he's like giving, like trying to gouge out your eyes. And I'm like, dude, you got to stop that. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you, you know, two years from now, you'll be in my same situation where you want so badly to deer scout. Uh, and which I did try this year. I did. I went okay. up to the Badger ammo depot with my kids, uh, kind of going off some pins, um, that I just kind of had marked and yeah. I was like, this would be great. It's going to be a short walk. You know, it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, it turned into a cluster F within about 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, we're going to do it. We're going to gut through it. Um, but like my kids couldn't walk past a plant that was as tall as them. So I had one kid that couldn't walk past the plant that was as tall as them. And one kid that was running 50 yards in front of me, and uh, so it was a constant struggle. I made it, I think, 100 yards before I finally just gave up. And it took like that whole like 200 yard stretch of 100 yards one way and 200 yards back, I think, took me about two and a half hours. Um, so uh, maybe in a couple of years, yeah, you'll be able to come deer scouting with me. But it's tough right now. No, yeah, it's it is tough. Like you got to like really strategically 
pick the spots you want to scout when you're with the kids. It's like, all right, what's what's a stand within a hundred yards of the road that I could probably hunt like opening weekend before it gets bad. Right. Like, yeah. and then you can scout that with the kids. But other than that, like you are not doing like a mile trip back and a mile trip there and back. Like, unless you got a backpack that you can just toss the kid in at some point. So I did have that. Um, but of course, <laughs> but of course the, the nature is too exciting to be stuck in that thing. So uh, <laughs> years old, but no, it was good. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And the reason I wanted, I thought you'd be good to have on the podcast is not, it's not because you're this giant big buck killer. It's because um, you have, you, you switched from like essentially waterfowl, like mainly targeting waterfowl and spending all your time, you know, sticking decoys in the dirt. And now you're up in a tree for the last, what, two, three, three years you've been. Yeah. Dabbling. So I've been dabbling right. with, um, in the tree stuff, we'll say three years. I've been a gun deer hunter for the last decade. It's actually what got me into hunting. Um, uh, 12, 12 years I've been into gun deer yeah. hunting. Um, that's what got me into hunting. Actually, my, my in-laws, my father-in-law, um, took me out, I shot a spike buck, which was my first buck. Now I've shot two bucks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> shot a spike buck and on like the day after opener. And it was like this, all of a sudden, like my life turned upside down with hunting, became obsessed with it. Eventually now I work in the industry, um, really consumed my whole life, much to my wife's dismay, probably, <laughs> uh, cause she didn't start out dating a hunter, but now she's stuck with one. So, <laughs> well, if her, if her dad is a hunter, She's probably like okay with the lifestyle, at least then. Yeah, she is. She is. Absolutely. I mean, she grew up with it, right? My mother-in-law is one of the meanest wild game cooks I've ever met. Um, nice. So that helps. But yeah, I've, I've been deer hunting um, for the last decade or so, but not really taking it seriously till maybe the last three years. And this year was a big transition into really taking it seriously bow hunting getting after it yeah i gave uh i gave steve three years ago i gave him the jankiest climber stand i have ever laid eyes on i bought it for from craigslist for like 50 bucks and i used it twice and then i i think i used it twice and then i was like dude i'm going with the lone wolf like setup and then i went and was gonna buy and i bought a lone wolf setup from again craigslist random dude who's like met up with him i can't even remember his name uh but he's one of the high up dudes at bowhunting.com oh wow met him in a parking lot in madison and i was like hey man i was like yeah looking for that lone wolf stand he's like yep here you go i was like do i know you like are you on hunting shows he's like oh yeah like me and some buddies run bowhunting.com and i'm like no shit so, so bought like a setup from him and and dude if you're looking for a setup if you hate your setup this year if you've tried it i'm not saying you do steve but anybody listening uh like finding a setup in february march april is super cheap so i bought a whole lone wolf setup with sticks and everything i think i paid like 170 from this dude and it's a 450 dollars setup or whatever so like that was primo for for me got that and then I like just let that climber sit there. And then Steve was like, Hey, I'm looking to get into deer hunting. Like, I know you do the deer hunting thing and I'm going to switch from waterfowl into doing well. That's people don't realize that you're either a duck hunter or you're a deer hunter. 
Like you, there ain't a whole lot of in between. It's hard to do both. <laughs> right. Unless you're like a single dude and you work third shift so you can, you know, hunt in the evenings and also hunt in the mornings and sleep during the day. Right. Yep. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so then ended up, yeah, you, whatever. I forget how we connected on that, but I was like, yeah, dude, I'll be up in Appleton and I'll send, I'll drop this off for you and give her a go. It's yours. And you were like, do you want this back? I was like, nope. <laughs> I, like, I almost died in that thing. Like the, that, that fall. <laughs> oh my God. I feel, yeah, I feel bad about it. I'll, uh, I'll have to set you up with something cool at some point, something that's not going to kill you. <laughs> well, I did, I did buy a lone wolf. Uh, hang on from you a couple not long after that that's right i didn't yeah that is right because i didn't use that one anymore i had two (laughs) i shot i shot two i've shot two deer out of that lone wolf and i actually just sold it because i went with a saddle so (laughs) passing it on to the next person and i sold it for as much as you probably bought it for (laughs) that that felt good perfect dude dude those things don't lose value i mean you buy them for like 150 and you sell them for 150 like it's it's a good stand oh dude it it was a great stand to me and i mean i i literally i mean like it's funny because like my our video department is split right down the middle um like the rest of the guys on my team die hard platform guys right like like big part of the social media team all saddle guys right and like I kind of, Cause, I was that's because of, Eric's that's because Eric's in there. <laughs> like I literally bought my bow. I didn't know what I was buying this year. I bought a Matthews B three X and I'm like, who here do I really respect as a bow hunter? And like, cause there's a big, there's a bunch of us that went and bought. Matthews. Oh yeah. And uh, I was like, man, Eric's really, Eric's a killer. I'm going to buy whatever he buys. So I literally, I took like all the specs from what he bought in his bow. And I'm like, I'm going to buy that one. And I just basically copied. <laughs> it. So that's fantastic. Um, so yeah. And I remember you had that crossbow for like what, five months. Yeah. So I had a crossbow because I, um, I tore my shoulder or I I did something. I I shouldn't say I tore it because that's probably not medically proven, but uh, it was the third buck of the year bow hunting I messed up on. And it was probably a 145, 150 inch deer, um, came out the day before gun season at 9am and uh 25 yard perfect shot and i was in a weird angle and i hadn't practiced a lot last year bow hunting um which is what i blame this on in its entirety but i was i was shaking right shaking so bad this thing came in i whipped my bow up and the arrows were still on the quiver and it hit a tree and it hit the tree and the buck looks up at me and i'm like oh god you know and we have that staring game going on yeah and uh, anyways, he puts his head back down. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's giving me another chance. And so I clip in and he's right down to my left, like hard angle down to my left, 25 yards. I'm 20 feet up in a tree and I don't, I don't get up this high. I was in a buddy's stand. Um, and so I clip in and I'm at this, I'm literally at this angle, which is right. now Super tight. Yeah. Terrible angle. And I, I try and pull back like with my sh- shoulder, like in a yeah. weird way. And I make it halfway up and I had a whisker biscuit on this bow. Cause it was like a bow I'd gotten for free from Cabela's like six or seven years ago when I was shooting photos for them. And, uh, I come, I come about halfway and like my shoulder, I don't know if it popped out of its socket. I don't know if something tore, but I literally was in almost the most pain I've ever been in and lost all muscle control. And the arrow, I basically like, 
The air goes through the whisker biscuit. Sound of the air going through the whisker biscuit spooks the air and it runs off. And I'm like beside myself because this is the yeah. third buck I'd had an opportunity on. It was the biggest buck I'd ever seen in life, you know. And I basically was like, well, now how do I get down from the stand? I feel like I tore my shoulder. And so it was at that moment in, you know, a moment of heightened emotion. I was like, I'm done bow hunting. I'm buying a crossbow. This is dumb. Um, and I had that for a few months, hunted with it last year in the late season, never shot anything and kind of got my senses the better of me after a few months of healing. And it was like, nah, I can't cheap out. Actually, it's my wife. I'm not going to lie. My wife thought I was a pansy. Um, yes. Told me it was cheating. Fuck and then, yeah. Uh, emasculated <laughs> me enough that I thought, you know what? I can't give up. This is giving up, right? Get it going to a crossbow is giving up. And uh, that's not who I am. So. So you sold it and got the V3X. I sold it. I said, you know what? If I'm doing this, I'm going to buy a real, I'm going to, I shouldn't say a real bow. I'm going to buy a good bow because I'd had, I'd had a lot of bow problems. Um, I had, yeah, I had had like my arrows come on knocked from bows. Um, I almost shot a bow the same year I shot my first year about 10 years ago. And literally the, the way that it was an old bow and it was an old release and the way the release fell into the D loop, it pushed the arrow off the string um when it was at a certain angle and so like i'd had that problem i'd had many many problems with bows and i'm like you know what screw it go to a nice bow i'm gonna have peace of mind and if anything's the problem with it it's my fault then right yep. so bit the bullet so to speak that's why i have a vixer <laughs> you know i got the vxr after i had a I had an elite for a long time, a G elite GT 500, which I really like still have the bow. Um, and I just wanted something different. So then mm -hmm. I bought like a Matthews Creed or something. No, it was a Matthews. Uh, what was it? It's a Matthews monster. And it was an 80 pound bow. And I was shooting that thing and it was zipping arrows, but man, it was, you know, like my form, what hindsight it's your form. Like okay. a lot of the bow problems come down to form. It sure, comes sure. down to grip and torque on your um, like cam lean or torque, not necessarily cam lean, but torque on your, your grip and where your string, how do I say it? Where your string sits on your lip. Like when you look up at your cam, that string needs to be coming perfectly back off that cam. It can't be left or it can't be right. And wow. that is determined partially by your grip and partially by your placement on your face and like the extension of your arm too. So like if you're, if you're right-handed, like you're drawn back with your right hand, you're pushing forward with your left, that position of your arm plus your grip plus where that string hits your face, it all has to be in line. And that was messing with me for years. Like I couldn't get through that because, you know, one of the things you, and I don't know if you have ever experienced this. So like, and another reason I like to have this podcast is because you have bow hunters who have hunted their entire lives, like from the time they're 10 to the time they're 60. And you talk to them about grip or torque and they're like, never heard of that. I just try to get the deer under 15 yards. Sure. You know, like, like, and, and even in, you know, there's, it's like the basics. I don't know how to explain this, but it's the basics that you miss and you almost like if there were a road to being a successful like archer and, and it's a straight line and every, you know, mile, you got to stop off at a pit stop, get gas and learn something new. 
And then you go another mile, you stop off at a new gas station, you learn something new. And it's a mile, every single mile, there's a new thing you learn. And all of a sudden you like start skipping them. You're like, ah, oh, I can make it two miles. And you skip it. Oh, I can make it two miles. You skip it. And then you miss that nugget of knowledge. And then all of a sudden, like 15 years later, you're like, how in the fuck didn't I know that? Yeah. Like, you know, I started shooting a bow when I was 13 and I started really understanding grip and can lean and torque and tuning a bow four or five years ago. Yeah. You know, so I've been like, you could look at me and be like, oh, Anthony's hunted deer for 15 years. He knows how that shit works. No. And I bet you in another 15 years, I'm going to learn something new that I didn't know before either. So, so like, yeah, I was having major problems with that Matthews monster. And then I got a prime. I forget what prime I got, um, but I got a prime and I was having some issues with that and couldn't get it going. So then, and with that prime, I had a 35 yard shot at a buck of a lifetime. He ended up scoring 165. He was super non-typical. He was crazy buck. And I, and it was like last light and I wasn't confident enough to make the shot. So I didn't, and he wasn't like, it wasn't like wide open in a food plot. He's standing there. It was kind of through some shit, but like now if with, with having this VXR for three years and the, the, the shooting that I've done and all that, like all the practice that I do now, I wouldn't have a problem in the world shooting that shot. But at the time I wasn't confident enough. So I was like, dude, I'm having some major confidence issues then the VXR came out, like whatever, it comes out always in the beginning of November or mid-November. And I was like, I bought it right then. I just went to the store. And I was like, I'm going to buy this thing. I'm done. I'm done with the confidence problems. I'm buying this thing and I'm just going to hang on to it for eight years. Yep. <laughs> you know? Um. So, so anyway, I mean, I like, I agree. Like, I think that like having problems with your bow and then just going with, a setup like like you did eric barber shoots a lot of deer he knows a lot of good people he like has a very clear setup he understands like what's going on like boom i'm just gonna get that and i will make that work because at that point once you buy everything new and everything sets up proper and everything looks good when you buy it and everything did you go to papa's for it i did i did go to papa's yep yep so yeah you go to papa's they get it all set up and then you're like, all right, cool. If anything's wrong, it's me. It's yep. not the bow, right? So, yeah. Well, it's, it's like I said, I'm I'm kind of, I live in a bubble, right? Because I live uh, or I work with a lot of guys that are just straight killers, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's for most guys, it's not as easy as being like, hey, let's go to the range, right? We got a range on site. Like, let's go to the range and like, can you see anything, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have one guy who, uh, one of my videographers on my team, he came from working uh, from a pretty well-known, I call him professional archer, right? And so like he spent uh, a year and a half like learning everything from this guy, right? So like if I'm having a problem, I'm just like, hey, dude, come to the range with me. What am I doing wrong? He'd be like, dude, you're gripping it wrong or whatever, right? Like I live in like this wonderful bubble that (laughs) I'm sure like half the country wishes they had access to, right? No Um, shit. But it's, it, that was one thing when I was like committing fully to buying this bow was like, I want so I want a tool that's going to last a long time. Um, and I want something that I know I'm not getting in the way of. Right. Or if I yeah. am, it's my fault. It's not the bow's fault. Right. Right. So. Dude. Yeah. And then, so then you got that and 
you did get a doe this year with your bow. I did. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Was third deer I shot. Um, the first one, uh, it was like 20 yard chip shot. Um, I thought, you know, at, at the time it was, it was a full pass through. I thought it was deader than a doornail, but I still backed out, went back the next day. And I was actually hunting an hour away from where I hunt. Um, which was uh, a whole nother story in and of itself. It's a place I call the buck nest. Um, but <laughs> after, you know, there's a million of those that guys have, but anyways, so shot the deer back out, went the next day, tracked it, didn't find it, looked for many, many hours, tracked it to 150, 160 yards. Um, then uh, in November, um, I took a little rutcation up to where we deer hunt. There's a lot of deer up there. We kind of had been we moved this deer camp up there about three years ago. So we're still learning the properties and uh, we hunt public. So I figured it was a good time to learn some new properties and to also, you know, take my rutcation, so to speak. Um, so I get up there, uh, I shot basically uh, a small buck. I was pretty stoked. I was actually on the ground. Um, so I figured full pass through, you know, this thing's gonna be dead. We tracked it for over a mile. I ended up having to get private landowner permission um had a dog come in uh tracked it for like i think five hours um in the in the not the i guess the morning waited like eight hours tracked it from about midnight to 2 30 and never could could find it but i did see it run off at one point so i figured he's probably still alive um at least i hope he is right yeah. and then the day before gun season um shot a shot of a doe, um, 17 yard shot. I saw the arrow sticking out. So I immediately thought I shoulder shot it and screwed that one up. Um, come to find out, you know, I, I, I'd actually died 50 yards from where I shot it, which, I mean, I couldn't have been more excited. It was small enough. I dragged it out with one hand. Um, you know, uh, so it was kind of like, Oh, sweet. I finally shot one. But like, I was like, Oh, this thing's kind of tiny. Um, but I was, I was beyond excited. Right. Like whatever it'll eat. Right. It'll eat. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's going to be delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and we were talking about this before we we started the podcast, but the the other two deer that you had shot this year, major blood trails, like yeah. blood trails until they just pittered out. And then the doe that you shot was no blood trail or very sparse. And then she was just dead. And that's, and I shot a doe with my 308 this year. And she also, like I shot her in the snow and I knew exactly where I hit her zero blood. Like I knew where she ran off to, like she ran out of sight. I hit her at like 60 yards and I saw her run to like 80 or 90 yards. And then I lost sight of her. So I waited an hour. Um, cause there were a couple other bucks in there and, um, that I had seen earlier in the morning and just kind of like perusing around. And there was one okay buck, but, uh, the, I had one little fork come by and make a cool rub. I really, I scoped him up. I really thought about it <laughs> that that morning. I was, I was thinking about it, but it would have been a really weird uh, quartering to like shoulder. Like, do I slip it in front of the shoulder or behind the shoulder or just go through the shoulder and call that shoulder toast? Like, nope. you know, when you're shooting a 308 at like 40, 50 yards at a deer, you're like, all right, what meat loss am I going to have here? You know, so it's kind of like playing that. I was like, well, if he gives me a perfectly broadside shot, this fork might might take one. And he didn't. He kind of just meandered around, hit a rub, hit a scrape, and then kind of disappeared. So then when I got down out of the tree, um, an hour later, I was like, oh, I'm going to go check because the snow, the snow, I mean, on opening morning this year, it was cold. 
It was windy. It was snowing for gun season. You were out, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so the snow started piling in down where I was um, in sou- southwestern Wisconsin. So I was like, I'm going to go look just in case like the snow piles up the blood or whatever. And uh, and I ended up finding her stood right where she was. I was like, oh, I think she ran. Oh, there she is right there. Like she made it 10, 15 more yards out of my line of sight. And she was just laying there, um, ran right to the four wheel trail. I backed the four wheel right up to her and just oh. threw her in, which was fantastic. Um, that was, that was really nice. And, uh, but she did have like a thin layer of snow on her and you're looking at her white belly and I could barely see the Brown through it. So I was like, all right, I'm glad I got down. Cause she could have been buried up pretty quick. And she was, she was dead right away. Um, I, she had, a, she gave me a phenomenal shot, slightly quartering away. I hit her in the back of the back of the the right lung, came out the front left lung, clipped the top of the heart. Like she just piled up. So, but yeah. the three, the 308 did not pass through, which I thought was really interesting. Really? Yeah. What, uh, what green bullet were you shooting? 170. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Hornady, I, yeah. Hornady, Hornady black, 170 grain, 308. I was, I found it in the, when I was, uh, yeah, that was another story in itself is trying to get her to a butcher. Um, I was debating on taking her to a butcher or not. And I was just like, ah, should I, do I want to spend the time? Yada, 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 going back and forth with that whole question. Like, do I want to spend the 150 bucks or do I not type of thing? And eventually it just worked out that I had to do it myself. Um, mm-hmm. cause I couldn't get her to a butcher. Like the butchers that I called were, they were like, sorry, we're like, we're full or you're going to get your deer back in January. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go do this thing myself. So after I cut her up, I was doing the front shoulder, uh, her front left shoulder, and the bullet was right in it, just sitting right there in the bone. Yeah. That's interesting. I know um, we've got a pretty knowledgeable guy at Vortex named Ryan Muckenhern. He's our uh, head of consumer sales. You can call a guy right now, right, if you want. He's amazing. Um, And... uh, I had this dilemma because every time I've shot a deer with my 270, it's ran over 200 yards. And like, I was getting sick of it, right? Like shoot the deer, it'd be an ethical shot, right? Like, but the deer would go 200 yards and it would drive me up a wall. And I'm like, I got all these buddies with stories about shooting deer with like two, two threes and they die right there. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I had a deep conversation with him and I'm like, here's what I'm shooting. I'm shooting 140 grain, uh, you know, Winchester XPs or whatever. Um, I was like, what should I do? He said, I think you should, uh, let me back up. I I'd actually, I was looking to go out West this year. And so I'd actually bought, um, I was going, I was in the market to buy a bunch of bullets. And so I kind of started that discussion with him. Like what's a good all around bullet. Right. And, uh, so he, he basically pointed me in the direction of some Nosler, Nosler, however you say it, ammunition at the time. The only thing in stock was 150 grain. Um, and he's like, look, man, he's like with that bullet profile, he's like, you can shoot through bone with that. Like, in fact, you may want to aim for bone, right? Like that's what it's, it's built to basically go through bone. So, you know, up until this, I've been waiting for the season to really test it out. And man, I have, I, I, when I shot my buck, um, on Sunday morning of, of opener, it, the deer came out, whatever I take the shot and it disappeared out of my scope after I shot. And I'm like, what happened? Like I was expecting to see something, right. It run straight away to see a yeah. turn. Right? 
So I go running towards where I shot. It was 70 yards. I go running to where that buck was shot and it is laying dead as a doornail where I shot it. I mean, it dropped and hammered and there was an exit hole like, like that. And I've never had exit holes like that in my 270, let alone a deer just literally die instantly. Um, and I shot a doe last year with a 50 cal and that died within about five seconds um, with a muzzle loader. But this one died. I mean, it wasn't five. I mean, it was dead. That bullet hit it completely toast. So, I mean, I'm pretty sold on these no, this nozzle. <laughs> um, Did you hit it in the shoulder or no? I hit it actually like kind of like lower brisket, like breastplate area. Okay. Um, there was no, there was no heart damage. Uh, heart was perfect. I'm not actually a hundred percent sure. Like if it, it, if it was like the hydrostatic shock of the bullet that killed it. But I mean, it was absolutely devastating. That's all. I mean, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Good to hear. Good to know. Was it the, like, um, tell me the story of that buck. Like, were you just wandering around in the woods with your finger oh. in your butt or what? So this is like, I was kind of saying this is our third year at this, uh, this new hunt camp, right? So yeah. we hunt public, uh, for, for gun. And we moved our deer camp up to this area because we were in Adams County, which we'd shot three deer in four years, four deer in four years at this in Adams County. And we're like, look, that's not worth it. There's six of us. We shoot one deer a year. So we moved this camp up to this, uh, this area. And our first year we shot six or seven deer. The next year we shot four or five, right? Like we're like, wow, this is way better. So yeah. we moved the deer camp up there. And so every year we go and scout, I always go Thursday, Friday scout, and then hang stands Friday night or, or Friday morning, what, or Saturday, what anyways, um, you know, so we scout our butts off, um, a bunch of us. And so we're always adding kind of knowledge to that, that knowledge base for the next year. And so we had the spot that we found, uh, the last two years where somebody has shot a buck out of this spot on Sunday morning, every single year now. And so a lot of the guys that usually hunt the spot. Uh, had already shot bucks on Saturday and it's, it's really neat. It's a small like meadow tucked in. It's basically encased in a cedar swamp. So it's almost like a little meadow. That's maybe 150 yards by 70 yards. It's not very big, but it's totally like windproof. And it was, as you know, Sunday morning uh, was negative oh. where we were negative five that morning. Yeah. Um, and the day before I'd been beaten up by the wind. So I was ready to get out of the wind anyways, but I had high hopes for the spot too. And uh, so I, I actually sat on my platform um, for my saddle, just like off the ground, like a foot. And uh, I didn't want to get up in a tree because I could see the whole meadow. There's no reason. And cedar, cedar swamps up in this area are so thick. You can't see a foot past the cedar swamp anyways. So um, I'm sitting on the ground and it's, 10 minutes past shooting light and right in the middle, there's almost like, it almost like comes in like kidney bean shape. So it almost like kind of comes in in the middle and I just see a deer coming from left to right, uh, like through some taller grass and, uh, it pops, it kind of pops his head, head down. And I'm like, Oh, like I'm gonna be able to get a shot. Right. Like I can kind of figure, I can kind of start seeing the body line of it, pull my rifle up, pops his head up, pull the trigger, nothing. I'm like, Oh crap. What happened? Well, I left my safety on in my excitement, right? Like I'm so yeah. jacked. I knew it was a buck and I haven't shot a buck uh, in gun season in a decade. So, so when you, when you scoped it, like you were like, oh my gosh, it's a buck. Yeah. I knew instantly like, oh, I like that's, it's a small buck, but I knew it was a buck. Right. Yeah. And so I already automatically got kind of the jitters. And so 
it was actually really good the gun didn't go off because it calmed me down right yeah, i was yeah, like oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, let's go back to fundamentals put the gun in my shoulder like make a good rest <laughs> you know like He's still there yeah so yeah so it, it comes out he'd stick his head up you know walked another two feet you know click the safety off got settled real nice and bam and that thing just dropped dead right where it stood and so uh really it really it was really great you know having awesome. shooting deer and them running off it was really nice to have one just drop oh. that instantly <laughs> makes you want to gun hunt more huh <laughs> yeah yes and no i mean archery yeah, yeah. seeing the pressure in gun season always is shocking you know it's like oh yeah this is why i bow hunt because right now there's a guy in every tree so right yeah especially when they wear blaze orange you obviously see where everybody is and when you're walking out there you're walking out you're walking into the woods in the dark. You're seeing all these other headlamps and shit. And then when you're walking out at like 10 or 11 a.m., you're just like looking around. You're like, oh, man, that'd be a nice spot to. Oh, yep. That's a, there's a guy there. Oh, what about this spot? Oh, yep. There's a guy there, too. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's bad, man. I mean, and even even the spot we go to, we like to can we like to think it's less pressure than I mean, even hearing stories from guys that hit, hit public at Vortex like. There was one guy, he wanted to float a river to get to his spot. And he pulled up and there were seven RVs and four boats already at the landing. And he thought, there's no way guys are going to float the stretch. Right. Like, gun season is nope. always full of surprises. They are. Dude, I have a couple, there's a couple spots that I know that the pressure has gone way down hmm. over the last couple of years. Like I used to hunt there. And I would, we would have to go to generally there'd be like plan A, plan B, plan C. And I'd go with my dad and my uncle. And those two are like, can I, I'll go out once I can see the sun. I'm like, no, no, you need to go out like an hour before you see the sun. They're like, ah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> right. We're going to sit here and you go get that Bailey's and put it in my coffee. If you would, please type of thing right that's yeah. that's my dad and my uncle we're gonna sit here in the heater and wait a while so we'd always end up at plan f or g like you know and now when we go out there now we have the private land but even when i i'll still bow hunt out there every now and then and even in gun season, my uncle still gun hunt out there if he doesn't get one on on our piece opening weekend he's like yeah there's never anybody there like i just kind of get to go where i want which is kind of which is kind of crazy because you know, the, the, um, I looked at the numbers, 550,000, uh, gun hunters. So like this year in Wisconsin, which is great, right? That, I mean, that's awesome. Like lots of people out there still hunting. It is down a little bit, but it's also up a little bit from recent years and it's down from the overall, what they were the kind of like project. I think, I think the highest ever was like 620 or 640. Jeez. so right so like something i don't quote me on the numbers everybody like look those up yourself but it was something like we're still down a little bit but um also it was opening weekend was a hundred and three thousand deer were shot so so if you think about that i mean that's like honestly that's a 20 percent success rate one out of five yeah that's, which is wild i feel like it shouldn't be that high i i'm willing to bet malt like People should be like, there are certain groups or people that shot multiple deer. I'm guessing it's closer to like 15% success rate per person, like individually, but I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm 
I'm willing to bet that that's what it is. Cause there are so many people who don't get deer. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've gone, like I went through a spell of seven years, right? Like when I, when I was hunting up North, I used to hunt on family land. It's pretty unfortunate in some ways, but I had access to about 500 acres of family land for many years um, where I shot my first deer and things. Um, in some ways I'm sad about it. In other ways, I'm happy because it's a deer desert up there. Um, in my opinion, this, this chunk of in yeah. land, we'll say, mm-hmm. um, it's a deer desert, right? Uh, so I'm glad that it moved, but I mean, I went seven years and now I've gone three years of shooting a deer, but I'm not picky, right? Like <laughs> I, want, I want venison in my freezer, right? but that's part of the reason why now I'm picking up bow hunting is because like, I mean, I hunt two days of gun season. So if I don't see a deer in two days, I don't come home with venison for the most part. Right. right? Like, I mean, we have other seasons, but I got two kids. I got other interests, right? Like deer season for gun season for me is always difficult, right? Like Thanksgiving, it's family time, like, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, it's, it's very easy. So actually let me back up. You're talking about areas that don't have a lot of pressure. So last year we invited a bunch of new hunters to our deer camp. My deer camp is comprised of uh, one of my best friends, Steven, uh, another good buddy of ours, Nate, and both of their dads. That's like the core group of us. There's five or six of us. Um, last year we had three or four basically new hunters join us. We had a camp of like eight or nine. Yeah. Um, and we stuck them into this, this piece that we really like. And I think we, so we had four or five guys in that piece and that year, and this is maybe 180 acres. And there were four or five other guys in that park last year. So there's 10 guys hunting, like basically 180 acres. Um, and it was a joke. None of our guys shot deer, our new hunters. And we, the year before we'd shot six deer out of there. And so we're like, we're, we're like, you guys are gonna get the primo spots. You know, we're hooking you new guys up, right? Like we felt so good. And then out of nowhere, these four or five new hunters came in. Somehow they shot all the deer. Our guys didn't, which whatever. Um, and so this year I didn't even pursue that spot. Right. Cause I'm like, I wrote it off. Right. Like yeah. there's going to be all these new guys. There's going to be all these guys coming in that we don't know. They were there last year. None of those guys showed up. Our guys didn't show up. Our new guys all, they all had family things. They couldn't make it this year. Um, and none of those other guys we had no knowledge of showed up. So we had two guys in that park. And wouldn't you know it, that there was a hot doe in there. Uh, the one guy shot a freak, uh, about 115 inch freak buck. The thing it's, it's G2 is split into three, um, <laughs> non-typical, crazy, awesome buck, awesome buck. And then the other guy that was in there shot a small basket rack and a doe, right? It's so like you were saying, he shot two deer, right? Opening day. Um, but they all, both of those guys saw bigger bucks than that 115 in that place, um, like on that Saturday. And it's like, you just can't predict it, right? Like had I gone in there Saturday, I probably would have walked out with a wall mounter, you know, too, right? Yeah. But it's just like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a gamble every it's year. It's hunting, man. Seven guys were in there, you know? Like I went to a completely different part of the area to get away from the pressure and I ended up in the pressure. So <laughs> this one. Right? Dude, I think there is something to, for gun season, I think Pennsylvania's opening or just opened. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Pennsylvania just opened and they're one of the later gun seasons because Iowa's should be just opening, but Minnesota's is done. Wisconsin is done. Mich I don't know what Michigan's status is. Do you I don't I can't remember. Um but uh 
But yeah, like that is there is definitely something to like getting lucky and being especially if you're hunting public ground or even private ground, like getting lucky and showing up and the neighbors didn't make it this year. Yeah. Right. Or like people don't show up in that parking lot because I 100 percent agree. And uh, it, that like even out by me, like on Sunday night. No, this is hilarious. This dude got, I, dude, I bet you this guy was so pissed. He, <laughs> I drove on Sunday night, like open it, like closer, right? It was, it was 4 p.m. or no, it was 3 p.m. And I had to drive to, uh, I had to, we, my wife and I had to go get something from Farm and Fleet. So we had the kids and we were driving. This dude, there's a piece of public that I've never seen anybody hunt. It's right off the road. But the private right next to it looks really good. And I know there's deer that bed in that stuff because I've seen them in the evenings in there. This mm -hmm. dude parked his truck and walked maybe 80 yards and just sat 50 yards off the off the road. And we're not talking like it's not a side road. It's a it's it's a highway like it's a county highway. So like lots of people are seeing him 50 yards off the road. And we drove by at three o'clock and back at like four 30. And so it's like pretty much dark at this point, four 30, four 45, whatever it was, it was like end of light. And he is in his truck and I drove past where he was standing. And there were two deer on the private side, walking to the public side. And he was 60 yards away in his truck. And I was like, I just wanted to turn around and be like, yo, dude, get back get back out there they're there they're there <laughs> and that's he must have been sitting there waiting for those two it was two does but i was laughing pretty hard at that but what i was getting at is there is definitely something to going out super early on gun opener or even the the second day or whatever sunday and just like claiming a spot and especially if you have five guys all five of you park in that spot because yep. then everybody else who drives by is going to be like, well, we're not going here. There's already five trucks here. Right. Yep. Or I'm yeah, pretty sure the spot I hunted that Sunday morning, I beat a guy too. Cause I was in there hour and a half, two hours before shooting light. And like, okay. I, I, when I got out, I don't think anybody else hunted it, but our group, but when I got out, there was like a seat cushion parked like not parked. There's a seat cushion on the ground right where I parked. And then there were boot tracks going in there. And I'm like, I bet you somebody hunted here yesterday, you know, but I was in there so early and it was negative five that guys weren't going to get out into the woods until they had to. Right. Yeah. But I put four, I put four of those toe warmers in each boot. And uh, I actually had to stop halfway to the spot I went to sit because my feet got so hot. They were burning. And I'm like, I can't do this. This is too many feet warmers in here oh you know, my God. Five, you take all the precautions you can you know? <laughs> <laughs> dude all right so you want to know this you want to know the trick to keep your feet warm please tell me it's wi-fi socks because every year i see people that buy wi-fi socks and then every year people say they don't work but i want a pair of wi-fi socks that works so that i can just have them and then i don't have to worry about you know yeah those those socks that heat up right that's what i want but like you can control them with your phone like too hot let's turn the heat down all right dude here's like if you don't want to rely on electronics 
here's how you do this. All right. Uh It sucks. It sucks, but it freaking works. Uh All right. So you put your, put your socks on whatever socks you want. Take two grocery bags and put them over your socks. And then you step into your boots. All right. Yeah. That's that. I'm not, I'm telling you, this is how this shit works. You Mm -hmm. go out to your stand, you get to where you want to be. And then you take off your boot one at a time, pull the grocery bag off, pull the sock off, put on your nice dry socks that you've had in your pocket or whatever, throw them. If you can put them in your muff with hand warmers, that is even better. Like throw them in your muff. And you pull those out, drop them on your feet, and then put them in your boot. And here's why it works, all right? And I have done this in negative five. Here's why it works is because when you walk out there, the moisture from your feet in your boot, especially if you have insulated boots, and especially if your feet start sweating, that moisture is what cools you down. Like literally you sweat to cool down. That is the whole point of sweating. So when you do that, you put all that moisture into your sock and into the inside of your insulated boots, which as you know, when you put them on a boot dryer, take forever to dry out because it's literally built to hold all that moisture in. So now when you put it in the sock and you put it in the grocery bag, all the moisture stays in the sock and in the grocery bag. And then when you pull them out, there's literally no There's no moisture in there. There's just the warmth from your feet. So your insulation's warm, but it's dry, dry warmth. You pull them out, you swap to your warm, dry socks, you drop them in there and you can even throw like one or two foot warmers in there, but that shit works. Like I'm, I've sat for eight hours in negative temperatures and that my feet have not been the problem. And I wear uninsulated boots. So like, And my, and I am not a man among men. I am a little bitch when it comes to my feet. So that, (laughs) that, that trick, dude, I'm telling that shit works. I, you know, like I have like very expensive Norfin ultralight ice fishing boots, right? Like, yeah. Like I wear Merino wool socks, right? Like I do all the things I'm supposed to do, but it never fails. Like under 20 degrees after three hours, my feet are cold, Mm -hmm. right? I can make it. I can make it three, four hours. But after that, boom, you know, it's like, it just gets me. I'm ready. Dude, dry socks. I'm telling you, like, if you, even if you walk out without the grocery bags and you just swap socks like an hour in or something like that, that will help. Like it's cold for like five minutes and then it's fine. And it yeah. kind of sucks like taking your shit off at the base of your tree and then putting your stuff back on. But dude, it is, it is a game. It is a game changer. Like that is like a, uh, what I want to say, endurance test, like game changer for cold feet. And it always comes around this time of year. I mean, yeah. like December and then, then season, are you going to be hunting late season? You're going to try to fill that bow buck tag? <sighs> it's a million dollar question right now um i'm i'm riding like the high and the i feel like content with what i've got but you know after a couple weeks you start you start feeling that like ah i could get back out again 
Yes. So, so last year, I know a guy who hunt has got a metro, uh, Madison metro area. Yeah. Know, private. Um, and we hunted that twice in the late season last year. Um, and I swear those deer are smarter than any deer I've ever met. I mean, like it was wild, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a possible. Cause I know there's big bucks around in that area. I saw the biggest book of my life cross the road in front of me, the rut last year. And it was half a mile from this guy's land. Um, so, and it's ag. So it's like, they're going to be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. I, I do have an itching to actually put down a bow buck, you know, so at least give possible. it a go. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I, I for sure will be. So I, again, you know, this year was a little odd for me. I took, I hunted seven days during the rut and usually, and that was over the course of three weeks. And I usually am able to, to hunt like 10 to 12 days. Um, I didn't get an opportunity at a buck this year. So I haven't seen one on the hoof besides I've seen a couple of real small guys. Right. But other than that, um, and there's a double main beam buck and I'm really interested to see if he's, he's alive yet that I've kind of, uh, farted around with, but never actually seen him on the hoof, but I know he's around and I don't, and I talked to the neighbors and nobody killed a cool buck. Well, actually talk to one of my neighbors and he was like, yeah, man, my daughter shot this giant double main beam. You should come over and check it out. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> so, I was like, oh, and I and he's a he's a real old time farmer. I was like, send me a pic. He goes flip phone, bro. That's what he <laughs> that's what he texted me back. I was like, all right, I'll see you at like 6 p.m. or something like that. So I went over there and it did have a double main beam on the left side, which is the same as the one that I'm no, the one that I'm hunting is, is also the left side. Yep. It's the same left side. So I was like, Oh man. So, but his, the, the double main beam comes like straight out like a unicorn off the left base. And it looks like a real small fork, like, uh, no, like literally like a utensil fork. Like it comes straight out for like 12 inches. Then it's got three little, like, dinks on the end that's cool but yeah it's super cool buck it was smaller and it's about a hundred i bet you would probably roll like 160 inches it's a great buck like it's a nice it's a stud but i bet you it was lighter in weight than my one and a half year old doe it was it was messed up like and i don't even think it was the rut like i'm pretty sure this was a major cwd like like cwd deer like this thing was gonna die it was i've never seen a deer i mean it's probably at least a three and a half year old if it's 160 inches probably four and a half or maybe even five and a half and it was like if if we hung my one and a half year old doe next to his people would have been like my deer was bigger I bet you they, we got, we would get more deer off meat off mine. So he went to get it tested. He sent it all in and I got to wait. He's told me he'd text me when, uh, when the results come in, but, and he did, uh, he ended up also like he talked to the wardens and he was, they ended up having to come out there and shoot a buck that was drinking out of the slop puddles outside of his farm it was like drinking it would come out of the woods and drink the water behind the farm uh in the cattle like hoof prints 
Like and he and he and it would like wobble around, lay down in the middle of the field, and walk back. And he's like, "Dude, there is something way wrong. You guys need to get out here." And they ended a warden ended up coming out and shooting it. And yeah, it was positive for CWD. But it was just so now he's got in his head that every deer has CWD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what. Uh, yeah, so we'll have to see. But that was like a real interesting scenario. But other than that, like no other people around me shot nice bucks for gun season. And and I hunt a Valley. Like we own, we own the North and South Hill side of a Valley. And there's like in the whole Valley, there's like seven landowners and I know all of them and I talk to all of them and yeah. none of them shot, shot good bucks. And, and even like this farmer, he owns 700 and I talked to him, I asked him, I showed him all the pictures of the deer that I have. And he's never got any of them on his trail cameras. So he butts up to ours and then he owns a huge chunk of ag, like 300 of ag. And then the other side of the hill, which would then be another South side. So he butts up to my North, but his, his North on the far side, he's never seen any of the deer. So I don't know, like if they're not crossing that Ridge or they're like, they have really small territories or whatnot, but not sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you know, there's like, there's like different levels to hunters too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the guys I hunt with or or I work with are just freaking animals. Like every day of the year is deer season to some of these guys. I mean, I'm not kidding, right? Like literally every day of the year, like they're hanging cameras or way early in the year, already starting to pattern deer. They're scouting right after season. You know what I mean? Like, right. So I always question, and I think it's all, it's smart, like, especially at this part in my deer hunting career, so to speak, like, it's always, it's always smart to being like, especially in my opinion, like, especially landowners, like, do they actually know where to hang cameras? Right. Like bingo. Are they hanging them in the right spots? Like from what I know, you know, bucks don't typically hang out. where all the other deer are hanging out, right? Big ones, right? They're doing something yeah. different. And so I think a lot of guys don't end up hanging cameras in the right spots, me included, right? Like I'm not, but like, I know people that do put cameras in the right spots and they're not places most people want to go half the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. And even on our, like we have a hundred acres and on it, I bet you I am running uh, nine cameras right now. And I have moved those nine cameras over the last four years, probably like each of them have sat in a different spot, probably like eight or nine times. So like in theory, I've had 81 camera spots on the property, like trying to figure out which ones are the spots to put the cameras. And I I think I'm getting closer. I hope I am. (laughs) For sure. I'm getting pictures of good deer. So I know I'm not like as bad as it was when I first started and I was just getting, you know, fawns and coyotes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. So how far of a drive do you have to your land? Uh it's about an hour and a half. Oh so okay. it's not uh Take yeah, it's not super close. It's far enough that like if it was an hour, I could easily justify the time it takes me to walk out my door and go walk 30, 40 minutes and then set up a stand and go to the public, like that takes about an hour to get in the tree. So if I could, if it was 30 minutes closer, I could be like, I could either spend an hour walking or an hour driving. Like I get to pick, you know, 
Uh, but because it's an hour and a half, it just puts it out of that little bit out of that realm of like um, the simplicity of hunting the public right outside my house, you know? So like, I still hunt the public. Um, I did, uh, I did a few, Oh, I don't know, maybe a week ago. I tried to sneak in there for right before bow, right before gun season. I think I was in there on Thursday, found a beautiful ladder stand that I really wanted to haul out of there. But the guy, <laughs> the guy <laughs> put in some work. Like it took without the stand when I ran my track that day, it was just over two and a half miles. So, so I, from in and out, so I went two and a half miles in and out and this guy probably like 1.2 miles and he hauled up 20 foot ladder stand in there. Yeah. I kind of gave it to him. I was like, dude, like if you hauled this thing in here, like, it's clearly there for gun season. And I know like he set up and he set up in a bad spot, which is also why I left it there. Cause I was like, ah, it looks good, but you ain't going to see Dick like, mm -hmm. cause he just set up in like this huge opening, which just never, it never pans out. There was, there's an opening cause I just wanted to leave him a note. Like you need to move 80 yards this way and it'd be so much better. But I just, and he has a camera in there too. And he's got it in like a bear box and stuff. So I was just like, he's putting in some effort, go for it, buddy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So why, why do you ask how far away the land is? Well, I was curious. Cause I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I've, um, I mean, you have private, so it's a whole different, it's a whole different thing. Right. But like mm -hmm. uh, my mistake was I, I was, I've been hunting public oh, a little over an hour away from here because of a spot that I call the buck nest that I found last year. Um, I, it was, it was, uh, so the rut is the first week of November. Um, and I ended up rattling in, I was in a ghillie suit on the ground, ended up rattling in a nice, probably two year old to me. Nice. Right. Um, we have a joke at work. It's a Steve buck is a small buck. Cause I like, I'd shoot a small buck. I have no qualms. Good. Right. Um, Good. that's right. So, and for me, it was probably about a two and a half year old, um, eight pointer, like just outside the ears. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'd rattled it in. Um, it still feels like a dream the way the whole situation went, but I ended up, uh, it was 40 yards. Um, didn't take the shot. I thought he'd come in closer. I was also not confident last year out to 40, like I am this year. Um, and then I ended up in that same eight forty eighty 80 acre chunk. I, I had rattled at least seen rattled, right? Like two more bucks. One was a giant chocolate brown buck that I just caught the antlers in, in this like cedar thicket. Um, and so anyways, last that I found that last year. And because of that, I became addicted to this spot and mentally, right? I'm like, sure. I'm, only, I'm only hunting here. I'm only hunting here, right? Like put cameras out early. Um, I never got a good picture of a buck in there. Um, it turns out, so I went up there to hunt early October I knew like of like a little oak flat. And when I got up there the past year, I hadn't been up there for almost a whole year. The DNR had come in and wiped out all of the brush underneath these, in these oak flats where all these deer yeah. were hiding. And so, but I couldn't emotionally recover from like what I'd seen the year before. So I'm like, I'm going to stick it out. Right. So I, and this is where I shot the first doe of the year. And now I know, right. Like I was, literally driving over giant deer to get to deer that didn't exist anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that, that's kind of a big lesson I learned is like, okay, going into next year, I'm finding deer in my backyard um, instead of like committing to something that's now a dream. Right. 
Dude, I uh uh it's the same thing if you're thinking about like elk hunting. All right. If you could hunt hunt an over-the-counter unit every year and just get good in that unit versus hunting one unit every five years, that might be a better spot. It's kind of like the same thing with uh with deer hunting on public ground in Wisconsin. Like hunt the areas that are closer to you that you can hunt every year that are easier to hunt, that you can learn better and cross them off your list first. Like that's, that's my, I did a piece on this a while back, which is essentially, I think this was like three years ago, but like, it's, it was like eight steps to figuring out where you want to hunt. Yeah. And it was like, first things first, start like within 30 minutes of your house. If you can't get to a piece of public that's within 30 minutes of your house, look for the next like 35 minutes or 40 minutes. Cause the more time you can put in there, the better you're off. You're going to be yeah. right. And the other thing is just, you have to like draw radius maps around Metro areas, like around Madison, around Milwaukee, around uh, the Fox Valley, like around lacrosse around Eau Claire. Cause you just yep. kind of got to get out of those main hubs. Right. But even then, like, yeah, the closer you can get, the better. And that's something that I picked up. Like I used to drive when I lived on the north side of Madison. I used to drive anywhere from 20 minutes to 50 minutes to to get to spots that I wanted to hunt. And oftentimes I found that the spots that were 20 minutes from the house were better than the spots that were 50 minutes. So why am I even like, but the 50 minute spots looked better on like an aerial map and they were further away and there seemed to be less people. But if I just would have started closer, like the bottom line is the more time you can put in, the more boots on the ground you can put in, the more you can like kind of sneak out there every three to four weeks and check your cameras, make sure they're not like overrun by ants or a leaf didn't fall in front of them. Or they're actually like picking up deer, like, and moving that stuff around. Because once you hit season, Steve, like, the deer patterns change every two to three weeks. Yep. So you're constantly having to move your cameras, move where you want to set up, focus on different things. Like now pushing into late season, like we got the second rut kind of rolling around here um, for the next two weeks. So you might find some pinch points and funnels and still be able to kind of somewhat rut hunt, but you're also going to go start pushing into late season stuff with snow coming and cold temps coming. Like now you're going to start focusing on picked corn or standing beans or, you know, whatever late season food source you can find. Cause all these deer are going to start like pushing to that area. Yep. Right. It's yeah. just, yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you and you can't, you talk to uh, some of these like big buck killers. Like if you're listening and you want to be a big buck killer, you got to treat, you have to have zero and be unemotional about the land that you hunt because it doesn't fucking matter. If you have, like you talk to these guys who try to shoot 200 inches, like they're uh, consistently and congruently scouting like 10 to 15 pieces all year long. Yep. And they don't care where they like, whatever camera shows them the biggest buck that's where they go. They don't care about like, oh, is it my grandpa's 40 that he shot big deer on and we've deer hunted for the last 20 years or whatever. He doesn't, they don't care about that. 
And that's where I'm kind of stuck in that right now because I need to kill a buck at what we call the playground at our 100 acres. I need to kill a buck on the playground. So I'm like stuck there. But once I get that one down, it's it's game off. (laughs) I can go do what I want. I think too, like I'm, I'm mentally, I have a mental hurdle to get over because the area that is close to me is uh, very like, it's it's probably similar to where you're hunting, where it's like very hilly, right? Like yeah, big, deep ravines and like hundred foot, 200 foot vertical draws. And like, it's not so much the terrain, um, even though the terrain is difficult, like it is like choked up brush that is like hard to get through and full briars. And it's like, I mean, I scout a bunch on my lunch breaks. I'll take like nature walks, right? And I'll go hit a piece of public and just, and like, I'm like, ah, I can't even imagine walking through here with all my gear because it's just so terrible and choked up. But it's not even that that gets me. It's the thermal game, right? Like it's the wind in the evenings, the air pushes. And it's like, I haven't, I, I'm getting to a point now where I'm starting to be able to hang sets based on the wind and where I, anticipate deer movement and like i'm finally at the point where i'm like i understand this right like i'm understanding where to set stands based on wind direction and where i think i anticipate deer come from but then you add in the whole thermal mind f and it's like i don't know if i'm ready for that <laughs> like i'm right, just so point, you know <laughs> again yep so i have been playing this game for the four or five years now and i think I'm starting to like somewhat figure this out. All right. So here's, I will share the knowledge that I have so that you can try to apply it. All right. So like if you're hunting a piece of public, like if you have a, let's just say the big thing is the speed of the wind. That's the biggest factor. Okay. So like anything, like if, if we're showing like on, like you pull open, whatever. And Steve and I both grew up in McFarland. So you pull open McFarland, you look at it and it says eight miles out of the West. Okay. Like if you look at that down in a bottom, you're probably talking one to two miles an hour, if anything. So a, it's going to be super loud getting in B you're going to need to like, you're like, you're, you have to play the thermal a hundred percent because there's going to be no other wind. Except for like, so if it's out of the, it's out of the Northwest and you're, you're in a Valley that runs West to East, it's probably not even North in there. It's probably straight West. Right. And it's probably West at a mile. And in the morning, your thermal is going to hang real low. And so it's going to like, you're going to want to sit in the bottom, the very bottom of that thing, because it's going to go West and drop. And it's going to sit there for pretty much ever until probably like 11 o'clock when you really start picking up some sun, 10 or 11, when you really start picking up some sun. Um, that's especially like, depends on what your cover is like on the hillside. There's a lot of like the time frame that it's going to change from nine to 11. Sometime in there, it's going to switch and your thermals are going to pull up. Now in the evening, like essentially you're just going to play that. Hopefully it stays real strong. Right. And if it, if it does, if it stays at eight, nine, 10 miles an hour, the thermal won't matter. It won't matter. It might, but it won't matter very much. So like in the evenings, generally hunt the tops of the ridges going to a food. Okay. That's what, that's what in the evenings, pretty much tops. 
because you're assuming that they're going to bed somewhere on that hillside. Either most people will say the upper third. I find that deer are bedding like and kind of anywhere on our property, um, anywhere on that hillside. And then they'll come up to the top to feed in the evening. So you're, you're playing the stronger wind in the evening. If it's like a dead wind, it's a real tough evening sit because if they're coming up out of the bottom and you have a thermal pulling down, like you kind of just got to like play, like if there's a West or an East or a South or a North, you got to play that like slight off and just hope that if they're coming up 40 yards, if your, your trail is 20 yards to your West and you have a West wind. So the, the wind is in your favor there. Even if you have a thermal pull down, it doesn't matter because you got them off to the West. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like at that point, the thermal up down doesn't even matter, but when you're in a bottom, it matters so much more because once you get in a bottom, so if the, if the weather, the weather app that you're uh, using says 10 miles an hour or greater, like eight is kind of my magic cutoff number. So eight or more, eight or more miles per hour, that means you're going to get generally swirling winds in the bottoms. Mm. You're going to get swirly BS. Like it's going to do whatever it feels like doing. And the thermals are only going to compound the problem of swirling winds. Sure. So I do not, if it's eight miles or above, I don't go into the bottoms. I hunt the tops period. Otherwise like you get down in there and it's just like you're in a tornado. Like you, you throw a piece of milkweed and it'll run 20 yards to your east, run 20 yards to your north, come back, hit you in the face, go to the south. Like, <laughs> you know, like, dude, yeah. I, I mean, my buddies and I, that was the thing this year was like, we were sending Snapchats of our milkweed, just like doing laps around us. Like, here it comes again. Eight <laughs> minutes later, like you're watching this milkweed just float around in this bottom. Wow. Um, Yeah. So like that's like that's the problem with higher winds is if you're trying to hunt any sort of bottom you you really can't if you're trying to be good with your wind and even like uh, a couple of the buddies that i hunt with they went and bought um ozonics as well and they're like dude it's even with ozonics like when i have a solid wind and it's not swirling i have pretty good success with ozonics when it starts to swirl, my success goes like maybe like 30% success, 70% no success. Wow. That's so it just, yeah, I don't know. Like, and we don't know what it is. Like I haven't used it, but both of them, like both say it's the exact same thing. Like they're like, yeah, dude, even with those onyx in the bottoms, like sometimes the deer will come in and have no idea. And other times they'll like pin me at 50 yards. And I'm like, dude, it's on like, what is going on? <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's, I don't know exactly the the mechanics behind that, but overall the big idea here that I would say, if it's as a general rule of thumb, I use eight miles an hour for easy numbers, 10, if it's greater than 10 miles an hour, don't go into the bottom. If okay. it's stay up high, if it's under 10 miles an hour and you want, especially if you want to hunt a morning, that's when I really like hunting the bottoms because you, you, you have a thermal pull down when you get in there and you have that thermal consistent thermal pull down until nine, 10, 11 AM, something like that. Versus if you hunt the evenings in a bottom, you have a thermal pull thermal updraft 
until the last like 30 minutes when it gets like when it's prime time and then it totally switches and you get a thermal pull down. Right. So now you have to like combat, like when is that deer going to come in the last 30 minutes or, yeah. you know, before then. And the worst thing is when that thermal kind of switches and you start getting more and more shadows in there, that's when you get some swirly BS going on. Right. And that's when they love to move is cause like shit's just kind of going all over. So I just don't, I don't like the bottoms in the evenings because of that. I talked to Aaron Warbritton about this. Um, I, I think it last year. And he said he, if that's the case and he knows he needs to be in a bottom, he will literally sit on the top of the Ridge until like the last 30 minutes and then just slowly walk down. That's wild. Yeah. And he's like, that's like, that's what we'll try to do. But the hunting public and all those guys, like they're the masters of non-conventional technique. Right. (laughs) Like they do all, all the weird shit, but it fucking works. Like, you know, I, they also hunt a lot. So Uh, I tell you what, I, what kind of got me really excited about deer hunting was deer hunting in a ghillie suit, man. Like I, that's, I shot my doe this year in that ghillie suit. The one I harvested, I was standing up next to a bunch of pine trees in a ghillie suit. And I pulled off a shot at 17 yards with a deer literally walking straight on me. Right. Like that's awesome, man. I, I love it. Like I love both. Right. I love my saddle. Um, I, but I love ghillie hunting, uh, ghillie suit hunting too, especially if you're scouting. Right. Like, yeah, can't beat that scout hunting. Right. But yeah, man, like those guys have probably turned more guys into bow hunters in the last five years than anybody else combined, you know? Yeah. I mean that, and they just, they, they do a lot of like fun, interesting techniques, but they're also, you know, hunting, you know, 70, 80 days a year. So, right. So they have a lot of opportunity. And if you're doing that, you're like, Hey man, I know this isn't going to like when we're in the woods, we're like, we need to make the most out of our time. And the proven technique is A, B, and C. And for them, they're like, dude, I'm on technique. Why let's give this a go. I don't know. Nothing else is fucking working. (laughs) Oh, dude, hundred percent. I mean, Uh, but that's uh, that's too i think where like your early season scouting comes into play right like even more so like getting that's the one thing like as a waterfall hunter you're scouting every day of season if you can right and like i've tried to take that that approach into bow hunting where it's like you can't do it exactly necessarily but there's a lot of parallels and so you know trying to get my kids out there and like just walk 100 yards let's go let's just see what's 100 yards in the woods to see if i want to go in 100 yards farther when you're not here you know but yeah yeah man i like i think that if you start looking at those those ridges and whatnot and maybe we'll we'll go out and scout something together this spring like if you can get out in like february and march like that is probably Mm -hmm. the best time to go um in my opinion you can walk a lot and you can see a lot and it's easy like you don't have the vegetation up so you'd be like oh there's a scrape from like 150 yards away Right. Oh, there's 18 rubs over in this little corner. I can see them from here with my sweet vortex binos. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like that's probably the best time to go. Um, And there's no other seasons going on. I mean, you're doing some hard water fishing if you feel like it, but that's more drinking than anything. We all know that. So you're just yeah, I mean, you're out there, you're checking stuff out. Um, But yeah, I think that like for you trying to stay a little bit closer and just 
learning those ridges and maybe like that scares a lot of people away as well like trying to get into those bottoms and i don't think honestly the people who i don't think a lot of people even think about it i think they just go hunt (laughs) i i agree and especially like what shocked me this year and i know we touched on it what shocked me this year is like nobody in the woods everybody in the woods it's like you can you have the entire month just about the entire month of october to yourself yeah right the second it hits november one you see a maybe a 30 40 50 percent increase in guys in the woods and it's like oh yeah there's other guys out here but like man my goal this year is to shoot a deer before the rut and i mean it kind of happened but like even still there wasn't that many guys where i was hunting in the rut like it blew me away i'm like where is everybody you know so yeah. wait till gun season, I guess they do, man. They do like my, like I, Halloween, Halloween seems to be the trigger for yep. a lot of people. Like once Halloween hits, they're like, all right, it's time to hunt, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and I think, you, yeah, I mean, you'll find it too, but talking to a lot of these, um, a lot of the big killers out there are like, dude, the last two weeks of October are like, if I'm taking PTO, I'm taking the last two weeks of October. Yep. Like, because and I found it this year too. Like I, the camera, my camera pictures prove out this year. Like I had three bucks that were regularly like every two to three days visiting our property. And they were, they were there. Like you just needed to be, you just needed to put in the time and you would kill them in late October from October 15th to like the 30th, 31st, For sure. November, like second hit and their movement. I didn't get a picture. There was an 11 point that we were, I was getting pictures of every three to four days. I didn't get a picture of him for like two weeks and he just shows back up, you know, at 2 AM on the same scrape that I always get him on. And so like, I haven't got like, there's just, there's a lot of, uh, and there was another buck that, um, Chad shot his buck on October 27th. And there was a buck. This was wild. He shot his buck. On October 27th, we we found it on the 28th. We were in there until about noon with the four-wheeler fucking around, like grabbing the deer, taking pictures, things like that. Got him out of the woods, rehung a new set, and got like, so we left the woods okay. at noon. This buck is this really nice eight point that I had on pictures last year. Never saw him at all last year, but he's got a really distinct main beam on his left side. He showed up at four o'clock, four hours after we left. And we were, we were not quiet. We were not in, we were all in uh, just regular clothes and everything, but all right, dude, we're at an hour and a half. My computer just told me that it's in battery saver mode. So, (laughs) (laughs) So real, real quick. Were there any other like, you know, being three years really into bow hunting, you said you've moved to the saddle. Obviously, do you like it? I love it, man. Like yeah. it's, it changed it. it. It's changed my desire to hunt. Um, Like I, I used to kind of dread, like I, we, you know, I use the sticks that you recommended um, yeah. years ago, which I'm, I'm probably going to switch up next year, but being as light as possible was a big goal of mine. Um, I was working out a lot preseason to get in shape and I got sick and kind of lost a lot of my progress uh, midsummer. So I lost a lot of drive to, to kind of like kind of preseason. 
Um, but regardless, my whole goal was like, get as light as possible so I can get as far as possible during hunting right. season. Um, and so honestly, the saddle lightened things up so much. It made things a lot easier for me um, to just get in the stand, having not grown up as a bow hunter. Um, and so for me, it was ease of use. It was comfort. It had everything I wanted. I feel like I can shoot at more angles safely. Not that you can't out of a platform. I just feel more comfortable and safer in a saddle, um, shooting from all the directions around the tree. So for me, man, I'm, I'm a hundred percent saddle and don't set myself ever going back. So, all right. That's awesome. Until, so I will, the reason you will go back is when you get into a tree where a saddle doesn't work. Yeah. That's going to be where your, where your shot. And it's not that a saddle doesn't work. It's just that a stand would work better. Sure. Where your shot is off to when, cause you, are you left-handed? I'm right-handed. Okay, good. I thought you were weird for a second, but I'm glad you're, you're righty. Um, <laughs> where your shot is off to your right. And if you were in a stand, you wouldn't even have to move. You could just like grab your bow, draw and shoot. Whereas in a saddle, like you either got to like do your drop shot and drop all the way back, or you got to pick your bow up and pull it over your cam or over your tether. Right. And then you draw like, you can obviously make the shot. Right. But it's just like, at some point, there is an, there's one tree that I really, really like that only sets up for a stand because mm-hmm. you can't, it's a, it's off your back, right shoulder is your shot when you're in your, when you're in your saddle and it just gotcha. does not like, it is an awful shot. Gotcha. However, like barring that I will actually, so once you get a super light, what platform are you running? Are you running the tethered? Yeah, I'm running the tethered one. How does that weigh like two pounds? Yeah, it's not it's not very heavy. Right. So my stand weighs six. So like Yes. That so yes. <laughs> if you go with like a lone wolf custom gear. Yeah. Like I, that the lone wolf custom gear or the out on a limb. And I'm kind of like honestly, I've I've ran them both this year, the out on a limb and the lone wolf. I'm leaning a little bit more towards the out on the limb at the moment in time. Um but I, I still want to keep running them for the whole season before I like make like say anything like super like definitive, like I'm going to go this route or that route, yep. but, um, and, and why, but I, not that anyone really cares about my opinion, but I think like when you're buying a $500 tree stand, you kind of want to like <laughs> compare the two. Right. Dude. And so <laughs> my, my whole thing is even with the, the lone wolf you sold me, like I have bad circulation in my knees. So if they're, they're not like really well, you know, out to the side. I was just getting oh, uncomfortable sure. in, in platforms. And what I found with the saddles, I could move more easily. Yeah. Um, and so that that's why I like it. I just, I'm just more comfortable right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, and again, Fantastic. if I got something, I'd probably stick hang-ons or ladders. You know, I wouldn't, <laughs> if I didn't have to hunt out of a saddle, I probably wouldn't, right? Like I, <laughs> I'm not above some convenience here. Um, right. but just with being hundred percent public land hunter, 98% public land hunter. Um, you know, it's just the saddle, the lightweightness, all that. So Dude, it's easy. It is. Right? It is. I, I can't agree. I mean, it's easier. It's easier than lugging around. Like people think they buy like an XOP or a lone wolf or a Novix. And they think like, dude, this is way lighter than like a river's edge or like a Bigfoot or whatever. And then you get a saddle and you're like, what the fuck was I thinking with that lone wolf? 
or that like, you know, XOP system that is so much bigger and bulkier than this. Yeah. And it's, tr- it's so true, but you never know until you actually like go and get the saddle and go and get the platform and the sticks. It's just like, well, and I like it too, because everything fits inside a mystery, my mystery ranch pack. I mean, I yeah. can throw my saddle sticks, everything to hunt in a, in a small frame pack. And it's like, dude, I mean, That's like it. I'm not messing around with trying to figure out how to get a, you know, a platform on a backpack or whatever. Right. You know? Buckle it in. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I agree. And you can even go even smaller than that. If you want to attach it to the outside, like you can go, I I was running, literally I was running a fanny pack with four sticks. Yeah. I didn't even have a platform. Like that's yeah. what I was running for a little bit too. And it worked. It worked great. Like, you know, um, but yeah, anyway. All right, Steve, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, so is all like, like do does all the video content that comes out on like the social medias and stuff, does that come through you or are you on the more on like the commercial side, like films and things that come out? So it, we have a very interesting breakdown. Um, so my team deals with a little bit more higher production, but that doesn't mean we don't do social media stuff. So right now we have a big push to put out more content. So there's actually some new series you're going to see coming out from us. Uh, next year that my team has been working really hard on this past year. Um, one of the series that my team has worked on uh, that is new to guns. It's kind of a new weekly or bi-monthly series that we came out with. Um, but we also do things like the fall is here videos. We'll do some social media videos, uh, but we do have a social media team who also does a lot of that. And then we yeah. also have some kind of third party um, content creating companies that do some stuff. So we put out so much content um, that even my large team um, can't put it all out. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, we have a shooting range, Vortex Edge. I've got a full-time videographer just dedicated to that. Um, and then I, my team is broken up by one person there. I've got two guys that are uh, my field team. So they do um, some hunts and shooting related videos. Then I've got a studio team, um, which we we film a lot of product launch stuff and uh, more studio related stuff. So my team's kind of broken up into kind of different categories. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of content that we pump and and we're just a part of the machine, right? <laughs> yeah, no. And I asked because I wanted to be like, if you see a video that comes out from Vortex, Steve's probably approved it. <laughs> I mean, the cool, there's some really, I'll say this, you know, uh, production, uh, video production, a lot of stuff takes a year to develop. Um, and so 2022 was a big year for my team developing new series of content. Um, you guys are going to see a lot of really, really, really cool stuff coming from Vortex in 23 that we did a lot of work on in 22. Um, I wish I could say more than that, but I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but that's cool. there's some pretty neat stuff that we're going to be pumping out here in, in the next few months. So awesome. Good. So everybody look for that is the best place to find all that. Just the socials. Yeah. Social follow us on Instagram. Uh, we just hit a million followers on there, which is pretty wild. Uh, YouTube, TikTok. Um, but yeah, a lot of our stuff comes out on YouTube or Instagram. Um, but yeah, just keep your ear to the ground. It's it's going to be a wild year coming up here. So. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for hopping on, Steve. We'll catch up for sure. Like maybe even in the late season, but for sure in February, March and do some scouting together. Yeah. I appreciate it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. You guys enjoyed the podcast. Please like subscribe, tell a friend, check out the store. If you want to support, uh, support the deer vein brand. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more cool stuff with that next year, but, um, this year just getting out the, the standard logo wear and things like that. So hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and, uh, catch you guys next time.